Some of you are going, well, I'm probably not going to watch that Chiefs game now. <laughs> we are, <clears throat> excuse me, we have started this new series about seeing and being like Jesus. And last week we talked about how being like Jesus is seeing sin for what it is and how it is and what it's really about. And this week is a little similar to that. It kind of goes along the same lines. <clears throat> it's seeing those idols in our lives, those what I call those false saviors that we kind of lean in on. And <clears throat> most of us in here would not say that, well, that's not, that's not an idol for me. That, I'm, I'm not, he's not the savior of my life. What I've learned about idols and those little false saviors in all of us is when you get it taken away is when you find out if it really was or not. When it gets taken away from you, then you find out how much of a savior or how much you valued that uh, in your life. Um, you know, how many of you, when uh, Patrick Mahomes went down with the injury, you thought, oh, I mean, get your hands up, be honest, okay. It's, it, it's funny because when that happens to our sports team, we blow a gasket and we finally get over it and, you know, but what if we had the same response to our own spiritual life? Could we, you know, could we get a little bit like riled up like, man, this is not good about my life. I mean, what if we took the same intensity and same passion we have for sports teams, for lack of a better thing, to, to our spiritual life? Because those hidden saviors are there. And, you know, here's what I know about myself. <clears throat> I am really good at seeing somebody else's spiritual their little hidden saviors, their little idols. And can you think of somebody you go, oh yeah, that's a, that's a little spiritual savior. We're going to define that here in just a moment. Oh yeah, that's a little bit of an idol in their life. That's something that they kind of, they wouldn't say they bow down and worship, but they give it a lot of attention and a lot of time. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be there in just a moment, but you're going to be at Acts chapter, end of chapter 4, top of chapter 5. Be a little story we're going to look at here, but we're going to get there in just a moment. <clears throat> Allergies today are just what they are. Now, as I said before, I am really good at seeing everybody else's idols and saviors. Um, I don't see them so well in my own self. I don't, I don't, I don't worship stuff. And, and we don't think we worship stuff, but like I said before, it's until it's been taken away from you, then you'll find out how much you worship it. And it's funny because God pretty early on gave us some some parameters about this and he said it really clearly in Exodus 20 the Israelites have come out of Egypt they have been indoctrinated with idol worship if you're in if you're in a, another country for 400 years you kind of take on what they value even even in a slave mentality and so slowly over the decades and centuries the Egyptian culture had seeped in to the Israelites, so they were, they were prone to worship idols. And so God was trying to redirect them and prepare them and kind of get them reorientated to Him. And so He gives Moses, we know the Ten Commandments, but the, there's, the commandments are pretty easy. There, four of them are about the relationship with God and the other six are about relationship with everybody else, okay? And so in Exodus 23 and 4, uh, I want to tell you this because this is going to help us go where we're going. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. It doesn't mean some. I mean, like, you can have some just as long as they're not. It says no, zero, none, can't have any. 
And the second one was this. This was, he says, And you shall not make yourself a carved image out of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on this earth beneath us or in the water. He says, don't worship anything and don't make anything. He's pretty clear. Is, is that pretty clear? Does that make sense? I mean, but yet we do. We conjure up idols that we worship. They're what I call hidden saviors. We wouldn't say they are, but man, we put a lot of value in those. And sometimes we think that if that thing were to go bad, my life would fall apart. And so I want you to do this. Grab the insert on the back side. This is not an exhaustive list, but it is a list, okay? And so let's take a look at this. I want you to look at this, and I want you to walk down through this with me real quick, and then we're, we're going to get to this in a little bit, a little bit later. The top, the top of it is pretty, is pretty self-explanatory, hidden saviors. Life only has meaning, I only have worth if. That's your question, okay? Power idol, power and influence over people, if, if that's you. Approval idol, I am loved and appreciated by. Comfort idol, having enough. Image idol, certain look and or body image. Control idol, mastery over every area of life. Serving, serving idol, people are dependent upon me. Work idol, I am highly productive. Achievement idol, being recognized for my work. Religion idol, religious moral code lived out by matching religious activities. Family idol, are happy and make me happy. Suffering idol, I find worth and value in my suffering. Ideology idol, my, poli my political or social cause is gaining traction. Safety idol, I'm seeking the roots in life without risk. Authentic idol, I'm not being honest about who I really am. Now let me help you out with something. How many of you were thinking about somebody else? See, here's the reality, is that when you read this list, you may not be one of these, but you might be a, a morphing of some of these, but you might be one of these or two of these or three of these. Pretty easy. If you're honest with yourself, you go, oh, yeah, yeah I struggle with that. I struggle with being authentic. The, the, the funny thing about social media, it is almost exclusively, it's not authentic. It's, it's, it's not authentic. You get, you get the highlight reel of everybody's life. Rarely do you get, rarely do you get on social media, my marriage is in trouble and I'm a terrible parent. What you get is, man, my marriage is perfect and my kids are angels and they, 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 they do everything they're told and I don't have to ask them. You don't ever get that. You, you, get, you, get the, you, get, you don't ever get the, the, the bad stuff. You get all the highlight reel because we want everybody to think that we got it together. And then we'll take social media out of it and we do that here. How you doing? Great. I'm fine. Doing great. Weren't you in the hospital last week? Yeah, I'm, I'm great, though. How about you? Tell me about you. We, it's, we, we do that because we really don't want to talk about us. Uh, it's like, well, there's nothing wrong with saying, I had a hard week. I could use some prayer. But, boy, we, we want to give up. We want to give. I remember a pastor a long time ago. He said, the churches who give you their highlight reel never tell you about their underbelly because every church has it. But they want you to get the perception that this church has got it going perfect, no issues. Everybody who takes one-on-one, I say, look, we're not a perfect church. You've got an imperfect pastor. But these are real. Would you agree? 
They're real. And those hidden saviors are there and they're lurking and it's what we give attention to. So I want to help us define that a little bit so you can go, oh yeah, okay, that really is a hidden savior for me. All right? A couple things uh, as I was thinking about this for this week because Jesus sees them. The question is, do we see them? And then how do we respond to them accordingly? What are hidden saviors? They're saviors we can't, this is really important, we can't live without. Like, for instance, let me go back to family for just a moment. That your value and your worth is that is everybody in your family is happy. Everybody gets along. Everybody, it's, everybody's got it going on. Everybody's happy. I make sure that everybody gets what they want. Everybody's happy. Everybody's rolling. That might be for you. I can't live without. I, I can't live without an occasional that a boy at work. That I do a good job. That I'm productive. That I, I'm, I'm on the fast track to moving up. I want to be recognized at school by my peers. It's something you can't live without. That if you go, man, I, you know, I've, you know, I'm not got a that a boy, or 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 if my family starts to spiral out of control a little bit, that we're trying to bring it back together. So there's saviors we can't live without. It's anything that becomes more important to to you than God, and it cons- here's another word: it consumes your thoughts, time, and your resources. Man, you are like. I gotta, I gotta make sure this works. I gotta make sure that I get this. I gotta make sure that this doesn't go away for me. And why are we attracted to these hidden saviors? Here's what I know about those hidden saviors. The word, key word is hidden. They're hidden. They're not readily available. They're not fully seen. We can kind of hide them a little bit. See, sins, sins are, are, are a little bit harder to hide. They're they're, they're, they eventually come out. But man, those, those, well, I just want my family to be solid. Is that a bad thing? Well, that's, that's a bad thing when it becomes the essential thing in your life that your happiness is based on everybody else being happy. And we're attracted to those hidden saviors because they're a little harder to see. And they also give us kind of a false sense of control. We think that if I've got this protected and I can, I've, got my, I've got my little financial nest egg and I'm going to keep it protected as best I can and I want to make sure that it, it's got enough and I'm good and, and so that if that were to somehow go away, how would I be? The hidden saviors always reveal themselves in the moment when those things potentially are lost or taken from you. And so when we like a little bit of control in those hidden saviors, that's one of the things about them. The last thing I'll say about hidden saviors is this. They typically will divide you. They'll divide you with your relationship with Christ, and they'll divide you with the things you value the most, whether it's family, work, church, people, whatever it is, it will divide you so that you're not fully invested in the things of God or with your family. You get, you get kind of divided, And Timothy Keller said this so well in relation to that. It says, we look to some created things to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give. It will eventually fail to deliver and break our hearts. See, those hidden saviors are false. Eventually, they're going to let us down or they're not going to measure up what I used to tell couples when they were getting married. If you're asking your future spouse to be your Savior, they're going to let you down. You're asking them to do something they can't do. There's only one Savior. And when if you ask your spouse to, 
uh, one of the funniest quotes I thought about uh, was, was a, um, the movie Jerry Maguire's back in the 90s. And the, he and this gal come together, and, and he says this famous line, you complete me. How many of you ever saw that movie? Okay, a lot of you. Um, let me just help you out. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. If your spouse says, you complete me, then I'm in big trouble because I'm as good as you get. <laughs> you don't get any better than me. And so we see that, that false narrative that, that these hidden idols, like if your, spouse is, if your spouse is the source of your happiness, how's that going to go? doesn't always go well, does it? There are moments with your spouse, am I right? And sometimes it doesn't go well. Same thing with your children if it, or your work or your finances or church or anything else. Whatever those hidden saviors are, when, they are, when there's something that could potentially go wrong with them, then we get a little guarded. We get a little bit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some time, resources, and energy to protect this. But when those things hijack your relationship with God, then you know that they've become more valuable than God. So let's look at our story here. This is a very interesting story. We've, we talked about this several years ago, but from a different direction. And I want to give you background because this is the early church in its infancy. It's just getting, it's just getting its gears. It's just getting going. So hidden idols were not as prevalent yet, but they're coming. And so we see this. Look at what it says. I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 32. And it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said to any of the no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own. But they had everything in common. And so, so the early church was, they were really good at sharing. They were saying, we want to make sure we're meeting the needs of people. They were, they were of one spirit, not only of, of their relationship with Christ, but together. They were like, we want to make sure that everybody's needs are met. Verse 33, and the great power of the apostles was giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and a great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many of their, of, as were owners of land or of houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. So people were selling property, and because other people who had resources were saying, I'm going to take this, sell it, and help others who can't help. They were of one spirit, of one mind, and they were saying, I'm going to do my part. Pretty amazing, pretty cool. And let me read that in verse 35. It says, And it laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had need. Thus Joseph, who was called the apostle Barnabas, which meant the son of encouragement, a Levite, a Navi, uh, native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay? I agree. <laughs> and there's this, this is one really cool thing about this thing. It says, the believers in Acts were so unified that they were willing and volunteering to divide up their own possessions in order to meet the needs of other people. They were taking whatever they had, and they were saying, we've got enough, we're going to help. Okay? Now, here's the amazing thing. The, all of us would applaud that, and we would agree with that. But then there was a couple that saw all of this playing out 
And you know, here's, here's the false narrative. Here's the hidden saviors that you see this wonderful thing happening and you're thinking, well, man, that's kind of nice. That's kind of a, man, that, it's a good thing to be a part of this. And so I want to read you a story and I want you to see if you can figure out the hidden savior of this couple, saviors of this couple, okay? So let's read this story. This is in verse, this is in chapter five now. It says, ah, but, but means something bad's coming, or good, but typically bad. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. Is that a good thing? Uh, yes or no? Yeah, it's good. They sold property. Okay? And with his wife's knowledge... He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now do we have a problem? I heard no, but I heard yes. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna solve your problem issue here in just a second. Think on it just a second. They sold property. They kept some of it back for themselves. We're going to talk about the problem here in just a second. Okay? But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? Uh-oh. While it remained unsold, did it, not, did it not remain your own? Up until this point, he has done nothing wrong until he lies. Because if he kept the property, it's his property. No big deal. It's his. He can do with it as he wishes. But he decided to sell with his wife's knowledge. And here's where the hidden saviors, there's more than one, kick in for, for, the, for this couple. And Peter said to Ananias, why has the Spirit, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and kept back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold to you, it was not your own. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He sold it, and up until this point, he's still not thinking of it wrong. Let's keep going. Why is it then you have contrived, and if you look, another word for that is it's false. What you're, you're about to say or do with your money is false. This deed in your heart, have you not lied to man but to God? So here, let me, let me paint this picture for you. They see one guy sell some property, and people are like, wow, look how generous. Look how generous Ty and Alicia are. They, 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 they took their property, and they just said, let's help. Let's help. They saw the people going, wow, but you're so generous. Wow, that is so kind of you to do. That's going to be so helpful. That's going to be so good. Man, that's going to that's help a lot of people. Can you see where this is headed? Well, I want some, I want some praise. I want some data boys. I want some, look at how generous you are. I want some, I want some, I want some, some positive feelings of encouragement. I want you to think about what their hidden saviors were. Would you say that one of their hidden saviors was money? Yes, because he kept some of it back. They sold it, they made money, and what they should have said is, well, 
the money because they, they, money was an issue for them. They decided to keep some because the money, that, that, that what they should have said is we're going to sell some, but we're going to keep a portion of it for ourselves. That's what they should have said. And everybody would have been cool. Everybody would have been, okay, I get it. That's for you. But here's the problem. They gave the appearance that they gave it all. Do you see the problem? They gave the appearance. Their hidden Savior was money. Their second hidden Savior was they wanted to appear very spiritual and very godly. Look at all we're doing. Look at how much we gave. And Peter, with the Spirit's help, discerns that they're holding back. They're not fully doing what they say they're doing. So in their heart, they're holding back some of this money, but they want to give the perception that they've given it all. Is that deceptive? Very. Very. And so they're giving the appearance that they're this very godly family. They're doing this marvelous act, but they're holding back some. But here's the reality. No one really knows that until Peter calls them on it. Because no one knows what they sold it for outside of the person who purchased it. But everybody else thinks, wow, look how generous they are. And they're getting that positive encouragement. But money is a hidden savior for them because they've held some back. The appearance of being godly, they want some data boys and wow, look how spiritual you are, look how great you are. Um, how about this last one? Their reputation in the community was very important to them. Maybe that was a hidden savior for them. They wanted to give the appearance, they wanted the eye test to show that they were generous with their money, they were godly, and they, that just gave them even a greater reputation in the community of being upstanding citizens to be so generous. And so Peter calls them on this and says, mm, no, you're lying not first to God and then to everybody else because you're, you're giving this perception that this is, and this is not really who you are. See, hidden saviors often hide behind things. And so we want to try to project ourselves as one thing where we're really not. But we want everybody to think we are. And so does that make sense? They, they took the money, and had they said right out the outshoot, hey, we're going to sell the property, but we're only going to give you, we're going to give this part. They'd have been okay. But they chose to give the appearance that they were giving it all when they were only giving some. And so their idols were pretty, or their saviors were pretty, pretty good, easy to identify. Their money, appearance, and their reputation in the community. And so Paul, Peter calls them out. And so he says, look, go back to verse, the end of verse 4. He says, why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Have you not lied to man but to God? He calls him out on this. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He died, in case you don't understand. He died. <laughs> he died. He lied. You're thinking, well, I've lied a lot and I've not died yet. <laughs> Be thankful. Because in the early church, he lied, and the consequence of that for him, not in everybody's situation, but for him and his wife, was death. Was death. 
And it says, And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. No kidding. I would be mortified. Verse 6, The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, she has an opportunity to tell the truth, am I right? She can come clean. Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. This is what the dollar was. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? And behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they, and they, are, they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. So those guys had just buried her husband, and then she has an opportunity to say, um, I wasn't truthful. But see, hidden saviors will cause us to lie and try to deceive about things that I, you can't believe you would. You would lie and deceive to give an appearance about something. You would lie and deceive or, or redirect so that it, doesn't, it isn't on you anymore. She had an opportunity to say, you know, to, if I'm honest, we sold it for this amount and we gave this amount, but we wanted the appearance that we gave it all and we didn't. I need forgiveness. She wanted to give the appearance. Money, how we are projected to people, our reputation was all at stake. Because if she tells him that she lied, then her reputation, right? It goes down the toilet. She's thinking about all of that. If I'm truthful, you know what she's thinking? If I could add a fourth, I'm really concerned what people think about me to the point that I'm going to lie. Because I'd rather them believe my lie than to know the truth. So her reputation, she was thinking about, she was calculating, if I tell the truth, what's going to be the result? And Peter says that. Verse 9, he says, said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will, they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down and breathed her last when the young man who came in there found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church and upon the whole, all those who heard these things. Go back to Exodus. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved images. See, God doesn't mess around. Why are those two things front and center for us? Because he takes seriously that we don't let something else come in and replace him as our savior. That's what, that's what it was for. When he put those in play, it's because we have a tendency to put something else. Or you know what we want? We want God one, and then we want a 1A. God, I need this 1A right here. I need money or fame or popularity or being liked or my reputation or my whatever it is. I want somebody, I want that to be one. If you're 1A, I want that to be 1B. And God's like, no, there's only one. There didn't get to be any of this. And when we see that and we see that these, these idols that we get, as I said before, when something gets taken away from you, you'll find out if it's a hidden Savior in your life. We do. And you're thinking, man, 
God was hard. He was harsh on these people. There's a deeper, there's a lot, there was a lot of messages in here. But one of the messages I was getting when I was reading this is that hypocrisy in the church gets overlooked too often. How do we know this? Because Jesus was hammering the religious leaders in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for their hypocrisy, for this perception of spirituality, for pursuing of reputation, for the little side deals that were given, for this religious moral code that they followed. And then here is this early church trying to get its footing, trying to get going, and if everybody kind of caught wind that, well, man, they, I know what they sold it for, and well, I can, maybe I can do the same. See, when those hidden saviors are allowed to stay, they rob, they steal, they keep from us the things that we were supposed to have. And so if a couple notes here I want to give you is this. We must never, in their situation, we must never value money or personal reputation above holiness. See, our reputations come and go like the wind. You know, my pastor a long time ago, when he was talking about people's perception of you, is that you are never as good as you think you are, and you're never as bad as they say you are, but the reality about you is right in the middle. And that's true for all of us. But yet we, we value those things. We pursue those things. We, what, what, what do they think? What do they want? What do they think? What would they, you know, it's like at the end of the day, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to lean in on? And all those things, those hidden saviors keep us hijacked from an authentic relationship with God because we don't want anybody to know our true selves. I was telling, I was telling somebody this week, we will let people to a layer about our, our lives, but we won't let them go below that layer because we don't want them to really know about our true selves. Oh, I'll, tell, I'll be vulnerable, but I'll always be a little scripted in how I share and what I share. I don't want everybody, because if they really know me, will they like me still? Will they still be my friend? Will they think I'm not a good Christian because they find out that I'm this or that I'm that. See, we, we're, if you start to think those hidden saviors are lurking for all of us, and think about this this week. <clears throat> if you had a conversation with somebody, you thought, mm, I don't know if I'm going to say that because I don't want them to think ill of me or think that I don't have it all together. Or I'm not going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something in my work situation so that they know that I can. Have you ever known somebody or even yourself on a resume or an application process said you could do a job that you really couldn't do? Mona's smiling because I know she's HR. It's hilarious when somebody says that they can do a job that they've never done before and they can do it with expertise. But it's because we give off this illusion that, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, bring it on. I can do that. And so whatever, if you take out money, whatever you pursue, it's going to steal from your holiness. And I love this because God was harsh, but God had a God was God doesn't mess around with sin. These people it cost them their lives. It doesn't cost everybody their life just because you lied. But the reality is that, that sin does cost and it does separate us and it does take us down paths. And I want you to understand there is a healthy fear that I think we've kind of lost. Godly fear brings birth 
not to timidity and uncertainty in our relationship with God, but reverence and wonder. See, the idea behind godly fear is it should bring about this not less like, like, God doesn't want you to be like a beaten dog that as soon as a hand is raised, they flinch. I've always, could always discern that about a dog, about how the owner treats it, is if a dog flinches as soon as a hand is raised, then I kind of know what that, that situation is often like. God doesn't want that kind of relationship with us. He does want you to have a reverence and a wonder for God. And not this man upstairs God. And here's the other reason I think that the consequence of their thing was so serious is that dishonesty, greed, and covetousness can be destructive in a church. Am I right? That was true then. It's true today. That hasn't really changed. But when we give off a perception of something that we're really not, it affects people. Because if you know something about somebody and everybody else knows it and you stand up and talk about this and they're going, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was a youth pastor here years ago, we would, I had a girl, and I think I've shared this on varying levels, but I had a girl that, you know, every time we came back from Super Summer or any kind of Wednesday night thing, any opportunity she had to get up here and share, she would. And, and I, I knew this because she would get up and share, and almost with a collective sigh, you could see the youth group go, because they knew how she was the other six days of the week. That her words up here did not match her life at home. And so one time she wanted to get up right after Super Summer about how much God was doing in her life. And I knew different. I knew what was really going on in her life. And she, she's like, hey, Danny, I want to be one of those that gives testimony about how great Super Summer was and how great and all this. And I was like... Um, no, you're not going to do that this time. And she was like, well, why not? Why, do you not have anybody to share? I said, I have actually plenty to share. But, sweetie, your lifestyle has not thus far matched what you say on the stage. Because you want people to think that you got it all together when we all know that what happens on the weekends and the rest of the other six days don't line up. And... And I even said this to her. I said, and the youth group, which used to sit like our crew does right here, know it's a joke. And you have no credibility. Credibility is earned, not given. And she said, well, that's not fair. You're being harsh. I said, no, you're being dishonest and disingenuous to a holy God by the way you're living your life by standing up here on Sundays and telling him how much you love God and then living completely opposite of, those, of that testimony. Those kids that sit there every week are looking at you going, when is the real, when is the real child of God going to show up and not this fake one? See, her hidden Savior as a 15, 16, and 17-year-old was the illusion that she was spiritual, was the approval of when the adults would see her after the service and go, wow, that was a great, man, I'm so excited for you. And she was not, she was living a lie. See, when this couple had an opportunity to make it right, they chose to go down a different path. And when, and so, can I tell you that she was really mad at me when I said that to her? She was furious with me. 
And you know what she did? She went and told a bunch of the other kids that Danny was unkind, mean, and I yelled at her, which first off, I didn't yell and I wasn't mean. It hurt me to say it to her, but it needed to be said because when the, I knew, I knew that what she was, her hidden savior was the approval of others and it was a drug for her that she wanted everybody to go, oh, you're so spiritual, you're so godly. But when I saw, I was, I remember we used to have chairs way back in the day and I would sit over here. And I remember when she got up and I looked over at the students who were sitting where our kids are. And, and when I saw this, I knew that she was being disingenuous and that her hidden savior was approval. And it had hijacked her life. And she didn't talk to me came to church, did the youth group thing, hid from me, uh, wouldn't talk to me, and uh, years went by, like years, and then out of the clear blue, she calls me, and she says, hey, this is so-and-so, and I was like, hey, how are you? It's probably been like 10 years, long time, and I, I'd long since forgot about that that time, and and she, I think she's married, lives down in Oklahoma now, and she said, I need to tell you something. She said, uh, when you called me out about being on the stage, she said, I was so mad because you were calling out what I was hiding behind. And you were right. And I want to say thank you because that was not the person that I should have been and could have been. And I was like, yay God. Yay God. Folks, hidden saviors only get dealt with when you bring them to a holy God. You can't excuse them away. You can't explain them away. You can't think, I'll just put it in the closet. It'll get better. That didn't work that way. So go back to the list. You looked at it earlier. You got one. You got two. Do you have the courage to circle it? Do you have the courage to own it? Tragically for me, I think I could probably circle all of those at one point in my life. And maybe you could too. When I, when I typed up this list, I thought, yep, been there, yep, done that, yep, oh, I still do that. So the question is, you can circle it, but can you surrender it? You can circle them, that's an easy thing, but can you surrender it? Nathaniel Hawthorne said this, he said, no man can for any considerable time wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which is the true one. There's going to be a point where those, those false idols, those false hidden saviors sneak up and, they, and you're like, which am I going to be? That's when, when I talk to that young lady, which are you going to be, a child of God or is the approval of others going to be your God? Yours is likely on this list or a variation of that. So the question is, is, you can circle it, but can you surrender it and say, God, that is me. I see it in me. And you wanna, if you want to get really vulnerable, ask somebody else to circle it for you. Ask a spouse or somebody who knows you really well to say, which, which, is, which one do you see in me? 
Hidden saviors are there. Jesus sees them. You have an opportunity to see them, but can you surrender them and say, God, this, this thing, is, this thing is, is hijacking my relationship with you. It's hijacking my marriage. It's hijacking lots of things. Jesus sees them. He's asking you to see them and then respond accordingly. Let's pray. God, I pray for all of us in this room. We all have hidden saviors. You see them. You're not surprised. You see them for what they are. You see how, how valuable we think they are. And I ask God that in these moments that many of us could circle one, but can we surrender one? Can we say, this is mine, God, and I ask for forgiveness? Just like this couple, it could be money. It could be our reputation. It could be the illusion of spiritual knowledge. It could be our nest egg. It could be the, the title in which we hold at our job or the, or the title that we want. It could be the illusion that we've got it all figured out with our marriage or our parenting and we want everybody else to think that accordingly. Those are hidden saviors, God, that steal from us. You want our true selves to come to you. You do your best work with our true stuff, not with our fake stuff. And God, for the next few moments, there might be some in this room that they, we treat these stairwells as an, as an altar. They may just need to do business with you, that they've got a, a savior that has become too valuable. It's become too important in their life. They're too concerned about it. It takes time. They wake up at nights. They give resources to it. They give time to it. They guard it. And what you're asking us to do this morning is surrender it. There may be some in this room, God, that their, their, their tension is something else that they need prayer over. Myself or Brad, we would love to pray with them. But for the next few moments, God, give us courage to respond to you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I ask you to stand. This altar is.